Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Well, open your Bibles to Revelations chapter 1 and verse uh, 17, and uh, we're going to go back to those two scriptures that I, two verses actually that I met, I missed or I didn't cover, and then we're going to move right into uh, chapter 2. Verse 17, and when I saw him, this is John speaking, I fell at his feet as dead. Now remember, John was one of the original 12 disciples. This was a man that walked with Jesus. He was even with Jesus at the transfiguration uh, on the mount, uh, but this John could not stand the manifest glory of the resurrected Christ. And uh, you'll find, actually, this happens numerous times throughout the Bible. Let's go to a time. Let's look at uh, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 5 and verse 13. And this is uh, a moment where uh, Solomon, he, he just built the temple, and uh, they're dedicating the temple. And uh, he's brought the Ark of the Covenant into uh, the Holies of Holies. In verse 13, it says, And it was the duty of the trumpeteers and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. So this is a high meeting. Everyone's worshiping. You have over 120 priests there. And I mean, just everybody is lifting praise and, and is excited about what God has accomplished uh, through Solomon here. And uh, when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, and by the way, it's okay to have musical instruments, and this is the way they did it in the past. Uh, we just do it with a little more electricity today. And uh, they, they did this in praise to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So, Right here, he tells us the lyrics to the song that they were singing. And as Isaac Newton taught us, uh, what goes up must come down. Remember when the apple fell on his head? We see here that with God, when praises go up, the blessings come down. So they sung this song, the lyrics uh, it were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Everybody was focused and, and truly worshiping God from the, from the heart. And the Bible says, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister. Now, they wanted to stand, but they could not. They wanted to minister, but they could not. Uh, you know, I, I celebrate the anointing on great men and women of God, but nothing compares to the glory of God. When the glory of God shows up, it wipes out all agendas and it absolutely changes the place. And this is what happened uh, in this verse. So that the priests could not, not that they didn't want to, they could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now, I have experienced this several times. Actually, this has happened to our entire church before. I remember one time we were in the high school. I was standing the minister, um, and, and I fell down. Everyone in the church fell down. I saw a cloud rolling in. It was just a powerful uh, moment. And I, you listen, how do you have a service when no, the, the preacher's laying on the ground? But the, the glory of God uh, came in, and actually some of my most difficult members uh, were radically impacted uh, by that moment and gave their side. This, their, their lives to the Lord in, in a much uh, deeper way. And by the way, if you stick around long enough, you will have the same experience. Eye hasn't seen, ears haven't heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men. That was God has prepared for those who 
love him. Let's go back to Revelations chapter one and verse uh, 17. For some reason I had an S on, on Revelation. It's the book of Revelation, no S, but somehow I just, just say that. But he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. This is important. If God never makes you uncomfortable, it's because you don't really know him yet. Jesus came not only to comfort the afflicted, but also to, to afflict the comfortable. And this is what Christ does. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the A and Z of everything that matters. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. So Jesus was not just an individual with a message. This was a person with credentials. He was victorious over hell. He defeated the grave and he wants credentials. He was victorious over hell. He defeated the grave and he wants to help each of us do the same. And then it goes on as he says here, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, my, my, my youngest son, David, was, was little. I was overseas, and I don't remember what nation I was in, but I, but I was ministering, and, and Pastor and her mom uh, were here with, with the boys, and actually, we lived in a townhouse on the other side of, side of town, and after she, uh, my wife let everyone out of the house, she locked the front door, and, uh, you know, she went to go, uh, you know, get her key to, to go, to get into the van. Back, back then, by the way, we used keys. We didn't have little buttons. Uh, so she was looking for her key, and when she looked up, lo and behold, David had already gotten into the van. And when she looked in, David was jingling the keys through the window with, with a, a mischievous smile on his face. And David did things like this all the time, by the way. And uh, uh, he had locked all the doors, and every time um, she, she went... Um, you know, to, 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 hey, David, open the door, he'd run into the back. Then she'd go to the back window, he would run uh, to, to the front of the car. And he thought this was just an incredible joke. Finally, the firemen arrived, and, and eventually, David decided that he would open the door. But what I want you to, to see here, it, it didn't matter who was supposed to drive the car. It didn't even matter who owned the car. Uh, the one in control was the one with the keys. And what Jesus is saying is, I am in absolute control. I have the key of death, hell, and the grave. Verse 19, write the things. Now, this is the second time that uh, the Holy Spirit or Jesus here, actually through the Holy Spirit, uh, commands John. He doesn't ask him. He commands John to write down these things. Actually, some of the books I've written, I really felt compelled by the Lord to write. I didn't really want to write them. And some of the things I didn't want to go into detail about, but, but I felt a, uh, a compelling uh, a desire uh, uh, from God to, to, to that writing. But, but here's, here's the challenge today. Uh, you know, everything doesn't automatically have to go on Facebook or, or, or Twitter or Instagram. You know, maturity is, is the realization that everyone doesn't care. And frankly, everyone doesn't need to know. And, uh, John understood that. And he was this older man now, and he didn't have to tell everybody every experience he had with Jesus. And some things were just for him, but Jesus had told him twice. Now, the things I'm showing you, John, are not just for you. They are for those that are going to come after as well. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So we see that the book of revelation covers both the past well, actually all three things, the past, present, and future. So the idea that all of these 
uh, things that are spoken about in the book of Revelation were somehow fulfilled in the first century is absolutely a denial of, of what is spoken in these words. So we're going to see things as we read this book that were current, things that also reflect the things that have happened in the past, and much of it, particularly when we get past uh, a chapter four or so, are things that, that are coming, and actually for us, they're pretty close. So, so let's get into to chapter two and verse one, and we're going to look at the letter to the church of Ephesus. He says, verse one, to the what? Angels. Now, I, I do think that churches have angels. I, I think we each have individual angels, but most scholars believe that the angels or the term angel here, actually it means messenger as well. Uh, Jesus was speaking uh, of the, the lead bishop of the church, just like the lampstands represented the church. Likewise, the angels represented the messengers or the bishop, the, the lead overseer, the lead pastor of the churches that each of these letters were, were, were sent. And I just want to take a minute to, to reiterate. I know a lot of folks feel that they don't need pastors anymore, but I just want to remind you that God sees me as an angel. According to God, I am an angel. Okay, I didn't hear any applause on that. Okay. To the angel, literally the messenger of the church. Now, this is important because the primary role of a pastor is to hear Jesus, digest the message that Jesus gives, and then share that message with the congregation. And this is what's happening here. Instead of though the, 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 uh, Jesus speaking directly to the pastor, he speaks directly to John here and tells John to send this message, write it down verbatim, word for word, what I tell you, give it to the pastor, and then I want this pastor to share it with the congregation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, the, the city of Ephesus was a world-famous city, like, like uh, Tokyo, like uh, New York, like Shanghai. Uh, Ephesus in the ancient world was uh, considered really almost the capital, uh, at least in terms of commerce and the rest. Of, uh, it was the largest and most, I would say, the most influential city uh, in uh, uh, what was called the, the province of Asia. It wasn't uh, uh, the continent of Asia, but it was part of Asia Minor, which is today uh, Turkey. But, but this, this, this city of Ephesus was actually a port city. And uh, there, were several, there was two rivers that uh, one was pretty close to the city, another, you know, maybe just a few miles out. So, you know, there was a lot of merchants that would come to the city. And, and then you can get on the Aegean Sea right out of the city. So this was a major and a very important uh, city, the city of Ephesus, but it also held one of the seven wonders of the world. It, it was home to the temple of Diana. Um, now, the, the Romans called her Diana, but uh, other people called her Artemis, Artemis. So th this was a great uh, temple and people from all over the Roman Empire would, would uh, uh, they would migrate to, to uh, uh Ephesus, and they would worship this Diana. Why? Because she was the god of fertility. And if you didn't, weren't, maybe if you didn't have enough crops, you know, in the fields, or perhaps uh, you weren't successful uh, having children, you would make a pilgrimage to the shrine of uh, Diana, and you would worship there, and uh, you would then go home expecting uh, God to, to begin to multiply, or your God, or the, the, the God, 
Diana to, to begin to multiply uh, your seeds. But this is the, the sad part. Uh, the way you worship Diana uh, was, 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 was using it, the, this temple that actually you're going to see right now, uh, in that you would go in this temple and you would participate in some of the worst sexual acts possible. And this was how you worship Diana. We think our times are bad, but uh, uh, it was really, really uh, uh, hedonistic and, and really a lot of crazy stuff was going on in the time of the Bible. So, and by the way, you know, if, if, if God could reach hearts in those times, dear God, you know he can reach him in, in our times. But here we have one of the darkest uh, areas, you know, in the world. But God called Paul there and then God planted a church and it became one of the most influential churches in the world. So we see God often establishes the brightest lights in the darkest places. So if you're in a dark place, it, it just means God plans to display, display his grace in a very, very special way. He said, write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden stands. Now remember, the seven stars represent, Jesus told us this and John wrote it, uh, represents the seven angels. The seven golden lampstands uh, represent the seven churches. But I, what I want you to notice in the imagery here, and this is really a super, super important. It's not the bishops and it's not the golden candlesticks that are the focus of attention. It's the one who holds them in his right hand. It's the one in the midst of those candlesticks that made all the difference. And I want to tell you in advance, so no one is ever surprised. If the presence of the Lord ever leaves this place, I'm leaving too. I'm going to be right behind it. If God's presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. And that's just a truth here. So again, it was the presence of the Christ amid these candlesticks. And it was God holding these bishops by his right hand that, that made all the difference in the world. Verse 2. And then Jesus speaks. So we see the imagery of the Christ and now he has a message for the church. He says, I know your works. Now today, you know, many people say, well, God knows my heart. Well, he, he does, and, and thank God for that. But G what Jesus rewards is not just our hearts, it's our works. We are saved through faith alone, but real faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by action. It's always accompanied by corresponding work. So faith is the root, but action is the fruit. So if there's no action, you begin to question the root. He says, I know I'm intimately aware of, I pay attention to the things you do. Now we think nowadays God only looks at the heart. Yeah, he does. But he also pays attention. This is Jesus. This is the resurrected Jesus. This is how Jesus views things and assesses things in the church. So this is absolutely relevant today. And Jesus looks at the church and he says, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know your lifestyle. I, 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 I know how you behave. I, I, I know everything about you. I am fully acquainted with you. And then he also says, or adds, but also your labor. Now, I may have needed to work to, to, to raise my children, but my wife, she has been in labor, which is, which is completely uh, different. You know, nothing of value 
gets done apart from uh, someone sacrificing something and, and someone experiencing some pain. So this church, you know, he, he watched their lifestyles and, and generally they, they were living correctly in general. Uh, also, though, they were hardworking and this term labor really talks about laboring to the point of, of becoming exhausted and weary. So, so these were some hardworking people. And then he continues, your patience, which lets us know that they had to endure some things to get to where they were at that particular point in time. And also then he adds something really important. He says, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. So this was a congregation with values. They, they hadn't sold out to the Democratic Party. They hadn't sold out to the Republican Party. They were not overly influenced, overly impressed by the trends and the, and the public opinion and, and culture. They called right, right, wrong, wrong, sin, sin, righteousness, righteousness. And that's what you're going to continue to get from me. Uh, you know, thank God for both parties. And I don't know, this church could be split down the middle, but I, I think there's probably more Democrats than Republicans in this house. But I'm going to always tell us what God's word says and the truth of God's word. That's super, 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 super important. We got to call out racism, but at the same time, we got to call out the fact that we shouldn't be hurting and harming our, our, our babies in the womb. And, and we need to speak boldly to, to both of those and strongly. And the church at Ephesus, uh, they, they were doing this and it was a powerful congregation. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So this church, you know, had more than just motivational teaching. Right doctrine mattered. They, they embraced, you know, those who, who, who preached Jesus born of a virgin, that he uh, actually performed literal, not figurative, but literal historic miracles. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and, and then he uh, was crucified and rose from the grave, then appeared to the disciples uh, for 40 days and, and 40 nights, and, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then after he ascended, he, he released the Holy Spirit into the upper room. He poured it out, and it impacted uh, all of the 120 that, that were in that room, and then that, that, that outpouring impacted the whole world, and he continues to, out, continues to outpour his Spirit today. So they embrace people with right doctrine and right understanding of who Jesus was. He wasn't just a guy with some good ideas. He wasn't just another prophet. No, he was God taken on flesh. And they were adamant about it. And, and they, would, they would, you know, not be around folks, uh, that, at least invite folks that, that thought differently uh, as it related to those fundamental and foundational uh, truths of our faith. And it says, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. And it's amazing. Jesus is commending this congregation. They're an amazing congregation. I mean, on the surface, you would think everything is solid about this church. If you visited this church, you'd be like, wow, this is an incredible church. I mean, the people worked hard, they had strong teaching and, and a solid probably children's department. And I mean, what could be wrong? But watch what Jesus says next. Nevertheless, despite all these good things, all these important things, all these valuable things that I commend you for, that you're doing, I have this 
against you. I want you to imagine when the pastor of the church shared this message. Everybody was shouting on the first part. But then when he got here, you could probably hear a pin drop. He said, I have this against you. So just because you're doing some rights here doesn't necessarily mean everything's all right. And what Jesus is saying here, you, you may put on a show if you want to, but you know something's missing. He said, I have this against you. I watched you closely. I pay attention to what you do. I value your commitment and your integrity and how you care about the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And you don't put up with nonsense. You stand up for righteousness. I appreciate that. I also need to tell you, you hurt me. I have this against you. You have left. Pay attention. Not lost, but left. You have left your first love. The difference between losing and leaving is huge. We lose things typically by accident, but we leave things on purpose. When we lose something, we don't know where to find it. But when we leave something, we know where to find it, but we just don't. He said, church, I appreciate your giving. I appreciate standing up for my name. I appreciate your integrity, but you hurt me. I have this against you. You have left against you. You have left the love you had at first. Now, you still love me, and I'm not saying you don't love me, but you just don't love me the way you did at first. You were head over heels, but then life happened. Then people happened, hurt happened, disappointment happened. Even you happened. Things you didn't expect happened. And when it happened, you began to step back you're going to think, you know what, maybe I don't have to open up my heart the same way as I, I did in the past. Maybe I'm going to start to protect myself a little bit better and be a little bit more wiser. And, and you know, what, what happens is we become perfunctory in our relationship with God. And, and on the outside, it, it looks bright and it, it looks great. But God sees what's happening on the inside. He said, listen, I, I, I'm looking at your works. I'm paying attention to every detail. Every hair, every hair on your head is numbered. <laughs> The Bible says all of our days are written in the book. And I've said this to you before. That's almost obsessive. I mean, he has our baby pictures on the refrigerator. He has our greatest moments, you know, just, just like, you know, those of you that are married and, and you know, those great moments with your spouse, you, you, you put them up somewhere or, or you have them saved on your phone. You know, if you went into God's phone, he, he had a pictures of, of, you know, these, these intimate, incredible moments, these great times that we've had together. But he's standing there. And everyone is having church. Everyone is 
as being the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church is one of the most celebrated churches in the world. You had Antioch, you had Jerusalem, and you had Ephesus. I mean, everyone, matter of fact, the pastor of Ephesus was Timothy. I don't know if Timothy was still the pastor by the time John wrote this, but not only was Timothy, who the book of Timothy uh, was written to, the pastor of this church, Mary, the mother of Jesus, attended this church along with John the apostle himself. This was an incredible and a great church. But Jesus is standing there, was holding his heart. He said, but I have this against you. You have left. You didn't just lose it. You decided that, that, that you, you didn't have to go as hard as you once did. The, 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 tendency, the, 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 the tenderness, the, the intimacy, the, the, the fire, it's gone. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.